what needless pain we bear, all because we don't carry everything to God in prayer. If God knows everything, then why do we even need to pray? Have you ever asked yourself that question? If he's sovereign and omnipotent and he's the creator, why do we have to pray if he already knows what we need? Prayer is our way to show that we are dependent upon him. That's what prayer shows. Prayer is us admitting that that we are not autonomous beings, that we are needy people, that we're not self-sustaining people, that we are utterly dependent upon the power and the sovereign hand of our God to be over us. So when we pray, we are acknowledging to God that we're not God, He's God. We are not Savior. He's Savior. We are acknowledging to him that we need more than our education and our bank accounts and our stuff in a great country like America. We need him. And when you don't pray, you are showing him the opposite, that you really don't need him. So as we come to this congregational prayer supplication, it's a time for you, the congregation, to Take to the Lord whatever it is you need to pray about. Now, you don't need to bear your heart and soul. Exercise some wisdom. There's certain things you need to go into your prayer closet for. But we want to spend some time where you, the congregation, where we as a corporate body can go to our Father and offer up some prayers of supplication to him. So the floor is yours, and then I'll close our time in a moment.
The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what we ought to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us, but groanings too deep for words. Holy Spirit, we thank you that even when we don't know what to pray for, you are our advocate praying on our behalf. That is such a blessing. That even when we don't have the words, you're praying. Even when we're praying for stuff we don't even really need, you intercede and correct it. And we don't even know it. Spirit, you are so wonderful. You are so gracious. And we thank you for your presence in, in, in the lives of those who have faith in Jesus Christ. I pray that you will help us to have great expectations when we pray that we would expect our God to move and answer. Now, the answer may be no, but it'd be an answer. Help us. Help our unbelief. And even as we come now for the preaching of the word, I pray that your spirit, that you, Holy Spirit, will move, that you, Holy Spirit, will, will convict us, that you, Holy Spirit, will encourage us, that you, Holy Spirit, will let us see Jesus as he truly is. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. If you have your Bible, uh, please open it to uh, Matthew chapter 5. We will be looking at verse 6 today. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. It says, Flourishing are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because they shall be satisfied. Flourishing are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because they shall be satisfied. Matthew chapters 5 through 7 are known as the Sermon on the Mount. Probably one of the greatest sermons that Jesus has preached. And that this whole sermon, all three of those chapters are about convictions of the way. And that is the way of Christ. Convictions of God's kingdom. Convictions of the Savior. And here in Matthew chapter 5, in verses 13 through 12, Jesus begins to give these convictions to his original 12 disciples. And this message isn't just for them. It is for you too, if you have faith in Jesus Christ. It's for all those who know Jesus in faith. But if you don't know him in faith, then his hands are extending out to you, inviting you to receive him. All you got to do is take hold of him. There's no other name given under heaven by which people can be saved. No other name given under heaven by which sinners can be saved. And it's in Christ alone. And when you come to faith in him, you'll be part of his body, his, his church. You'll be one of his many disciples adopted into his God's family as sons and daughters, citizens in his kingdom, which means Jesus isn't just your Lord, his, your Savior and Redeemer. He's also your Lord and King. And please notice, if he can't be your Lord, he can't be your Savior. You can't get half of who Jesus is. As your Savior, he dies for your sins. 
as Lord, your Lord, he owns everything you've got, even the shoes on your feet. He has said, it's mine. He can't be Savior if he can't also be your Lord. Colossians 1.13 says, God has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. And in this kingdom, Jesus has all power and authority. He's what I call the HSIC, the head savior in charge. And as the head savior in charge, he gives convictions to his people, beginning with these nine beatitudes. Beatitudes that that represents the, the great reversal that all believers will experience when Jesus comes back. That's what these Beatitudes represent. They also represent the kingdom convictions and ethics. And they also represent human flourishing in this life, Jesus' way. Psalm 92 says, The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree that grows like the cedar of Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and in, and in him there is no unrighteousness. TVC Saints, we're going to look today at the fourth beatitude in Matthew 5, 6. Flourishing are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I have a question for the kids. What do you want to be when you grow up? Hey, who else? Nice. A rocket scientist. Nice. What else? A police officer. Yes. What do you want to be when you're no longer on your parents' budget? When I was a kid, I wanted to be a football coach. That was my dream. That's what I went to college for, to be a teacher and to coach football. But as God had other plans for my life, and I'm grateful for that. You see, kids, those, the, the question, I asked you that question because that question taps into your human desires. Author Josh Kaufman believes that it identifies five core human desires that are common to all people. He says, get your pen out, pencil, color, crayon. I'm going to give you the five. So first, there's the desire to acquire material and immaterial things. Second, there's the desire to bond with other people. Third, there's the desire to, to learn. Fourth, there's the desire to defend and protect self and loved ones and property. And finally, there's the desire to feel emotional pleasure and excitement. Every human being shares those five desires. They're universal. All people have them, regardless of age, gender, or ethnicity. Everyone in this room has these desires. Teens, preteens, or teens, and adults. Desire is what Jesus is talking about in the first half of this beatitude. Flourishing are those who hunger and thirst. Flourishing are those who hunger and thirst. What is your natural reaction when you're hungry? What's your natural reaction when you're hungry? What are you going to do? You're going to eat. 
And what is your natural action when you're thirsty? Yeah, to drink. You're, when you're truly hungry and you're truly thirsty, you have a strong desire for food and water. And you do whatever you got to do to fulfill those desires. These terms, hunger and desire, are metaphors to, to reinforce a, some strong desire that has to be attained. It has to be fulfilled. It's not a casual desire. It is great. It is strong. What do you hunger and thirst for, TVC Saints? What do you really, really, really want? What do you long for? What do you crave? What is your desire? Well, Pastor, today it's for a short sermon. It's a joke. You can laugh. Come on, man. Loosen up. The, 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 the strong desire in, here in verse 5 is a, is a desire that only Christians can have. And keep in mind who are Christians. They're people who have saving faith in Jesus. People who believe he died on a cross for their sins. People who believe he rose from the grave. People who confess and, and are forgiven of their sins. People who surrender their whole self to Jesus as Lord and Savior. They surrender their life, their will, their soul, their heart, their livelihood. And something supernatural happens to them when they come to faith in Jesus. Do you know what it is? The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of them. So that means if you have a saving faith in Jesus, then the Holy Spirit lives in you supernaturally. That's an amen statement. Thank you, brother. First Corinthians 3.16 says, do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? Do you not know that? Second Timothy 1.14 says, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in you, the treasure which God has entrusted to you. In Ezekiel 26.27, God says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. The spirit lives in you. And Christ himself says in John 7, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, he said this about the spirit. Those who have received him were to receive. Are you thirsty for Jesus? You sung about it. You felt good about the song we sung. But is that what you really thirst for? Do you hunger for him? Do you desire him? Then come to the fountain and surrender it all to him. If you're not a Christian, you can come. And if you are a Christian, you still come to the fountain. You don't come to Jesus and say, I don't need a drink of you no more. I got this. No. No, you don't do that. When you come to Jesus, the Spirit lives inside of you, and he makes everything about you new. New name, new identity, new citizenship. He even changes what you desire. Think about it, TVC Saints. The Spirit has the power to change what you thirst after. He has the power to change what you hunger for. Romans 5, 8, 5 says, those who live in accordance with the Spirit 
have their mind set on what the spirit desires. What does the spirit hunger and thirst for? What does he hunger and thirst for? He's a person, right? So as a person, he will have desires. The spirit desires truth. He desires to bear witness about Jesus. He desires repentance of sin. He desires to to help God's people. He desires to intercede for them. To put it simply, the Holy Spirit desires the things of God and his kingdom. That's what he desires. And he gracefully works that same desire in your heart. Everyone should be saying amen to that. He gracefully worked that same desire in your heart if you know him, Jesus, and save in faith. As Christians, we know we believe marriage is a covenant between one man and one woman before God. And in, and in this, then there are covenantal vows that Christian couples make to each other during the wedding, the marriage ceremony. Vows like for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, to death do us part. And there's also a covenantal pronouncement over a Christian marriage. And, we, and that's in Genesis 2:24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Many Christian couples in a marriage with a desire to fulfill their covenantal vow and this pronouncement. But is that desire immediately fulfilled overnight? If you're married, you all should be saying no. It is not. <laughs> the Spirit fulfills that desire over time throughout the couple's life together, as they as they together, and they grow into becoming one flesh and faithfully living out their vows. It won't ever be perfect, but it'll be healthy. The same is true as the Spirit changes your desires as they become more and more the desires of God. This is a work of God's grace in the lives of his sons and daughters. And it happens throughout their lifetime together. It won't be perfect, but it'll be healthy. The spirit works in all believers a desire for righteousness. Look at verse 5. Flourishing are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What does that mean? What is that? What is Jesus talking about? A desire for righteousness is a hunger and a thirst for God himself. I say it again. A desire for this kind of righteousness is a hunger and thirst for God himself. For his kingdom, for his ways, for his will, for his agenda, for his cause. That's what it means. It means you want him to have his way. You don't just want to think about him having his way. You want him to have his way functionally in your life and in this world. It's a desire to love what he loves. And it's a desire to love who he loves. We sung about it in Psalm 42. As the deer pants for foreign streams, so my soul pants for you, Lord. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Again, saints, do you thirst for God? Right now, at this moment, 
Do you have a desire to love him more? Not work for him, not do ministry for him, but to love him, to be in communion with him, to fellowship with him. Think about the one thing that you enjoy doing in your life. Do you enjoy God the same way? We all have things that we enjoy doing. Can you enjoy God that way? Can you fellowship with him that way? Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Jeremiah 9, 24 says, let those who boast about, boast, boast about this, that they, have under, that, they, that they have understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. My friend, Dr. L. Carl Ellis, spoke at our February um, table talk, and it was a wonderful um, talk. He says, righteousness is a relational and covenantal term. It means to do right by the other party in the covenant. God always does what is right, and therefore those who are saved and set apart to him should also do what is right. Unrighteousness, on the other hand, is simply failure to do what is right. In his talk, he presented uh, four views of biblical righteousness. Four views of biblical righteousness. I wish we could have recorded it because it was great. And so the first view, he says, there is, is, is piety. And he says piety is doing what is right according to God in a narrow sense. And that involves devotion and ceremony. It's worship. It's prayer. It's communing with him in his word. It's you cultivating a, a healthy walk with him. Michael 6, 8 says, he has told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require you? To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. That's part of walking humbly with God. Second, there's justice. Justice is doing what is right towards your fellow image bearers in a narrow sense. That is being your brother and sister's keeper. That's being an advocate for other people. Galatians 6, 10 says, So then as we as believers have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those who are of the household of faith. Justice. Third, there's personal. Personal is living rightly before God as an individual. Romans 12, 1 says, Present your bodies as living sacrifices. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Fourth, there's social. That is living rightly before God as a corporate community, as a body of Christ. Galatians 6, 2 says, carry each other's burdens. And in, and in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. TVC saints, do you hunger and thirst for piety, justice? personal, social, righteousness. These four dimensions are a desire for the things of God. 
They are the desire to do life Jesus' way. They are convictions of the way. These four dimensions of God's righteousness is his will being done on earth and here and now and seeing his kingdom come more and more and more. Only Christians can have this kind of desire. Only Christians. And no one church and no one denomination and no one ministry can do all this by themselves. They need the whole body of Christ to display this kind of righteousness. Because what we're doing as a body of Christ, we get, when we desire these four dimensions of righteousness and when we work together as a body of Christ, we are giving our broken world a taste of God's kingdom and his righteousness. When we do that, it's not making us look good. It's making him look good. So what are you hungry for and thirst for, saints? Do you have a desire for the things of God or do we desire the things of the flesh? First John 2, 16 says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourselves in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. For believers, the desires of our heart is not for the, are not the desires of the flesh, but are the desires of God. This is a desire to see these four dimensions of righteousness displayed in our community, in our lives, in our families. To see his will done, to see his kingdom come. Flourishing are those who hunger and thirst for this kind of righteousness. And that is a good thing. But yet, righteousness isn't the reason why you flourish. What, what, what do you mean, Pastor? Believers don't flourish because they desire the things of God. They don't flourish because of piety and justice and personal and social righteousness. You don't flourish because you hunger and thirst for these. Godly intentions and godly desires are wonderful, but they are not the source of our flourishing. We flourish because God is faithful. Because if you look to this righteousness as a means to your flourishing, you know what that produces in you? Self-righteousness. Thinking you're better than other people who not who is not as pious as you. Thank you better than other people who don't see justice the way that you see justice. It believes self-righteousness. When we look to these things to be our source of our flourishing, we flourish because God has looked down upon us and says, you are highly favored by me and I'm faithful to you. Flourishing in this beatitude happens because of the second half of the verse. It says flourishing are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they shall be sad. Tis fine. Do you see what Jesus is doing there? Do, do you see what is happening in, in, in this statement? Our hunger and thirst for God's righteousness isn't satisfied by us. You can't work for it. Let that set in your heart. Let that set in your soul. 
Believers don't have to satisfy their desire themselves. It is satisfied by God himself. This is something that he is doing in and through us. It's a work of his grace through the power of the Holy Ghost working in us. Piety, justice, personal, social righteousness, God satisfies that. He does that so that he will shine through us. Not so that we will shine, so that he will shine. We are the moon. As the moon reflects the light of the sun, we reflect the light of Christ. We're the moon, people. We're not the sun. Greek philosopher Cicero says, the thirst of desire is never filled, nor fully satisfied. The thirst for, of desire is never fulfilled, nor fully satisfied. Those words aren't true for Christians. Because God, our Father, Yahweh, Elohim, is satisfying our hunger and thirst. Do you believe it? Is Jesus telling the truth here? Because as Christians, either this, either everything, either everything in this book is true, or it's a lie. Can't be both ways. Do you believe the things that is written in this book? Not just the red letters. Everything. Do you believe is true? Because if it's not true, then we are the stupidest people in the world. And all I'm doing is a all I am is a motivational speaker, so you can have a good week. If this isn't true, then this is a waste of time. Waste of time. It is true. Christ is not lying. But do you believe it? Do you believe it? This satisfaction is a certainty. It's a guarantee. It will happen because our God said it will happen. It's not pie in the sky. It's not pie in the sky. It's not. Christianity is not pie in the sky. Just because we live in the already and not yet, does it mean what we have is pie in the sky or is it just a sweet by and by or, or is wishful thinking? It is none of those things. It, he is satisfying it. Philippians 1.6 says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. He, that Paul is either telling the truth or Paul is a liar. Which is it? We get mad when unbelievers don't believe our theology, and we don't believe it either. They don't even have the Holy Spirit. But yet we look down on them for not believing the things that we ourselves don't even believe as Christians. Don't hold pagans to a standard they can't even attain to. When they don't have the Holy Spirit, they can't desire the things of God. We are the beacon of hope. We are the city on the hill. Pointing people to Jesus. We are the representatives of Christ. And this satisfaction is already and not yet. You see, that the clenching of this thirst and the relieving of this hunger pain on this side of heaven will only be partial. And you have to embrace that. That ain't ever going to be what it's going to be. 
Your life on this side of heaven is never going to be what it's going to be. There's going to be pain. There's going to be disappointments. There's going to be letdowns. There's going to be frustrations. There's going to be suffering. There will be persecution. There will be death. There will be sickness. There will be cancer. All those things happen. But it doesn't mean God doesn't love us. Doesn't mean God isn't for us. He is for us. We just live in a broken world. And faith in Jesus Christ is not a bulletproof vest to protect you from suffering. He's deaf to be Emmanuel to help you get through the suffering. To know that you're not alone. Because as we know, we are sojourners passing through. So this, our thirst and the relieving of that thirst and the relieving of those hunger pains will be partial in this life. It will be progressive. It, it, it will be continuous. He'll fill you, then you get thirsty again. He'll fill you up, and then you'll hunger again. That's just life here. The satisfaction for piety and justice and personal and social righteousness will simply be a taste of what is still to come in the new heavens and the new earth. We're waiting for the full satisfaction. And that will happen when Christ returns. Because we know Easter is coming. Right? Like he's no longer in the, in the, in the tomb. He's no longer in the grave. See, we, we need to realize that we, we, in Christian theology, we, we, talk, we talk about the cross. Without the resurrection, the cross has no power. <laughs> I hope you realize that. It ain't enough for him just to die for your sins. He had to resurrect from the grave, too. So the resurrection is disappointing the cross. And as Christians, we know that this Jesus is coming. He is coming. And we hold on to that hope on this side of glory. Because we know he's coming. But do you believe it? Do you live in that? Does that encourage you? Does that empower you? Does that motivate you? God's word says, come. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Are you tired of just coasting through life? Are you tired of running from one idol to the next? Bound down to that idol, looking for Jesus in all the wrong places and all the wrong people. He is, his hands are extending out to you, saying, come. If you're thirsty and hungry, come. He can't make it any more simpler. I die for your sins. If you want forgiveness, you want hope, you want peace, you want significance, you want value, then you need to come to me to get that. If you don't come to him and get that, you ain't ever going to be happy. You ain't ever going to have satisfaction apart from Jesus. Ever. Kiddos, if you never come to faith in Jesus, you ain't ever going to be satisfied. So you can't ever leave this church and say you never heard the gospel. Because I come to you and say that is a lie. I preach it every Sunday to you. 
You got to come to Jesus. You got to come. He says, listen to me diligently. Eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. What is good? What is rich food? It is God himself. He's giving you he's giving you himself on a platter. All you got to do is come eat. All you got to do is come eat. Will you come? Will you come? Flourishing are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because our God shall satisfy that desire. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you. For being good.